Father, for this time that we just um, set aside in our lives, set aside even all distraction to be able to come around your word and have it speak to us. And not just speak to us so that we might hear it, but actually change us from the inside out so that we might become more and more like you. And so I pray that as we open your word this morning, you would bless it. You would anoint it and you would impart wisdom into, our, into the very core of who we are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So guys, what, um, Bevan's actually said a couple of times how he realises that Mother's Day is, we always say Happy Mother's Day and, and it's not always happy for everyone because of dynamic going on and, and I just wanted to say, I know we're often um, between Kloof and here and there will come a day where we are just here in Jesus' name, but um, <laughs> if things are heavy in your life, I really love that there's, um, that there's a group that you have started this particular term, but at the same time, please just know that um, while Bevan and I are not psychologists and would never, ever try and give advice that we are not qualified to give, we really are available in the week. If you just need to process or have someone pray personally for you with stuff, um, I just thought I would mention that um, just pick up the phone. Honestly, we love to do a coffee. We love to hear if it's just a tougher time in life and sit and pray together and... Um, and believe that actually that is a huge part of, of the answer and solution to a lot of the heaviness that we carry in life. So if today, even Mother's Day, is just hard, maybe you're trying for a child, maybe you've lost your mum recently, um, that's the reality of life, hey. Um, yeah, then we are available. But the word this morning, guys, I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to serve up a two-course meal. <laughs> something from the Old Testament, something from the New Testament, something um, from the spiritual, something from the natural this morning. So just bear with me as I juggle the two. From the natural, both of them are inspired by Mother's Day, but this is not a message just for mums, just to say. So um, it, it is for all of us. The Word of God is like that. But they are both inspired by Mother's Day, and, and they are both sort of non-status quo stories, because that is the dynamic of the Bible, like this New Testament, something from the natural space over here, I'm actually wanting to share some um, wisdom from a teenage mother in the Bible, and that is something that you don't often hear, like wisdom and teenagehood don't often go together, but the reality is that mother is going to be Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she was no haphazard choice to being the mother of the Messiah. That girl was wise beyond her years, and there's actually just a moment, as I was even reading this week, I'm like, man, that is such gold and such wisdom for us to take even this Mother's Day. So we're going to talk a little bit about her and what she has to um, gift us this morning, but at the same time, we are going to go to the Old Testament. You know, the thing is, sorry, just to, to mention about Mary, <clears throat> before, I, before I go to the Old Testament, she gave birth to the Messiah of the world, but it was her partnership, her yes to God the Father that actually allowed for it to happen, because the way that Jesus works in our life and the Father works in our life is that he will... He will see the gold in us. He will see what could be birthed in us and could be fostered by us in our lives. But he will never, ever force himself on us. He will always come and he will call it out. And then we're the ones who say, yes, 
okay, so be it. Mary, like, um, when, when, when the angel Gabriel approached her and asked her whether she was up for the challenge or up for the mission of actually being part of the salvation story of the world, she actually had a whole bunch of questions to ask. Um, like, she thought, how's this going to be? <laughs> like, how's this going to happen since I am a virgin? It literally says in Luke 1.34, and it says, I have had no intimacy with any man. Like, she had questions. She knew the science of all of this. And, like, God was so kind in it. He's such a gentleman. Like, he converses with her. And eventually it comes to the point in verse 38 where she said, may it be done to me according to your word. You know, it's the same with us. When there's something that God is wanting to, like, plant and bring forth in our lives, that is how he's such a gentleman, the way he does it. And so Mary's, yes, we have something to learn from her early motherhood, but I'm going to save it for later. And I want to just talk a little bit more about God, the gentleman that he is, the father that he is. And... Um, the reality is, I think I've briefly touched on this before, but I'm going to do it again because I know that us being called children of God, okay, means that we have a parent in God, which is crazy to think that the creator of the universe could also be a parent, a personal parent to each one of us on this planet. We do call him Father God. And with that, in our kind of earthly human language filters, I just very much appreciate that it is so easy for us to have a bent towards then picturing male, okay? And I want to bring up the fact that God in his parenting of us is such a complete and whole parent. We're actually not only fathered by God, but we're actually mothered by him too. And I know that that might sound outrageous. But the reality is that God is beyond gender. He created gender. It's like we have to keep going back to Genesis 1. Bevan kind of already has this morning. But we have to keep going back there in Christendom to find out what it was right in the beginning, how it was created in the beginning, because that was perfection. And when God created humanity, man is the, words that, that is the word that's used in Genesis 1, 26. But there's actually no gender attached to it. It's more like human, human is created in the image of God, this one being. And God speaks at that point and says, it was very good. Like he's created the world for humanity and then he creates humanity to inhabit the world. And he creates us because he wants a friendship with God with a species. And so he creates after his kind, this one being, and he looks at this creation and he said, that is very good. After everything else that he's created, he's like, that's good, that's good, that's good. And I mean, it was pretty impressive. The world's a pretty impressive creation. But then people come along and it's like, that is very good. And maybe at some point next time I get to speak, we're gonna actually like focus in on the human body because it's pretty profound. It, it is very good what God created when he created humanity, but he only created one. And so the afterthought was, okay, it's actually not good for man to be alone because we are created in the image of a relational being and we are therefore relational people. We all learned that so hard through lockdown. We just need relationship. And so God was like, okay, we're going to need to actually make more than one because you can't be relational with just yourself. And so instead of God recreating or multiplying the one that he created, he actually takes this one and it's almost like he divides it. The Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 1 um, verse 27, it's the first time gender comes along. And, um, and the Hebrew word for male is the word ish. And the Hebrew word for female or woman um, is ish-ah. 
Okay, ah, literally meaning taken from. And so in Genesis 1.27, you see Ish and you see Isha. You see this one being who was created in the image of God is then divided into Ish and Isha. She is taken out of he and he remains. And it's for the two, the one to become two and then for the two to become one again. It's the mystery of marriage. All of us going on the marriage retreat at the end of this term, we'll talk a little bit more about it then. But Jesus, when he talks about marriage in Mark 10 verse 8, he actually says, and the two will become one flesh so that they are no longer two, but are united as one flesh. I mean, it's a crazy thing. The Bible uses these very like specific words, but unless we're actually able to read them and understand what it's saying, um, we can sometimes miss the truth and the gold in it. The reality is Bevan and I are married, gosh, 18 years this year. I can't believe it. But we don't walk around in one flesh, you know, like the two become one. It's a spirit and a soul thing. It's how the first human was created, not in the image, physical image of God, but actually in the image of this substance, the personhood of who he is. And then that personhood is taken into two and then the two come back together as one when they get married. And it's actually, side note, why um, there's often such an attack on marriage and why we as a church have felt so strongly called to just healthy marriages, healthy families. It's actually what the world needs. Stable, healthy homes. It was the design of God in the beginning and it still is the design of God. And so the reality is I think the the reason for the attack is because as the two will become one again, there in that beautiful connection, okay, not in feminism um, or misogyny, but in just beautiful harmony, we actually have the chance of reflecting Father God, our parent of both, in whom we are both created in the image of, to a world who desperately needs to see a God that they cannot see with their own eyes. And so this beauty of gender only comes after God has first created, okay? Then gender enters the equation. And the reality is that God is beyond gender. He is beyond humanity as well. And so when we call him father, we can't think gender. Otherwise, we are boxing him into a human being. And he is not a human being. He's actually both paternal and maternal in his parenting of us. He is one complete, beautiful parent. You know, in the same way as we call him Father God, we call the church the bride of Christ. We call the church a she. But we are not all female in this room today. We are a mix of he and she. Father God is actually maternal and paternal. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie The Shack. Has anyone seen it? Oh my goodness, it is such a good movie. I have this um, absolute mission, Candace will know, to make sure that this building, every now and then in the co-church calendar, calendar becomes a boutique cinema because I'm such a fan of movies. And um, when we were in New Zealand, which sounds very fancy, but we did live in Australia before, and so we found, swapped some time, and found some cheap flights and popped across to New Zealand the one time and um, did the snow with our kids. And Sienna and I went to go and watch this dance movie because this is how we this is how we roll the two of us and um, in this boutique cinema in the, 
in Wanaka, and it is a memory forever because of how cool the experience was. I mean, we loved the movie. The movie was awesome. It was a dance movie, but it's not really that that I remember fondly. It's the whole experience of coming into this really cute room of couches and like an eclectic mix of chairs, and then they had a half time, and at half time, if you had ordered your fresh cookies before the movie, you went out and you got your little like drink and this fresh, fresh batch of cookies and then went back in and finished the movie, and I just loved it. Now I'm all this building is perfect for this. So I feel like maybe we watch The Shack soon in this building and Kansas is going to bake us all cookies. But in The Shack, in The Shack, like hats off to the producer because he actually cast God the Father as a woman. Like, whoa, people were all, what the heck? But we are just so gender boxed in because we're human and we've got to appreciate that God is beyond. The substance of who he is uh, is beyond humanity, okay? Yes, we are created in his image, but not his physical image. Let me take you to the Old, Test- Old Testament, okay, to um, 1 Kings 18. I was telling the story to the kids the other day when Jesus was on the cross. He actually calls out these words, Eli, Eli something else in Aramaic and a lot of people are looking around he's like oh my goodness is he calling Elijah because there's this prophecy about Elijah coming um, before Jesus and and um, they totally misunderstood and in that moment I was telling your story your kids the story that I'm about to tell you it's one of my kids favorite stories actually but I think it's the most beautiful story to illustrate the completeness of God the wholeness of God of who he is as perfect parent to us maternal and paternal, God the Father, perfect, fierce and gentle at the same time. And and the beauty of us knowing this is that we can know that we can go to him for everything and in everything because like his box of tricks covers everything, has everything to meet us right where we're at. So Elijah... Let me just um, paraphrase some of the story because it's quite long and um, we will read a fair bit of scripture in a minute. But basically, we're in Israel, we're at a time before Jesus, so a fair few thousand years ago, and there's a king by the name of Ahab on the throne. He has been massively influenced by his wife Jezebel. Have you heard about Jezebel? Okay, if you've heard about her, you know that she was actually pure evil evil, evil, (laughs) and had a massive influence over her husband and over the nation of Israel. She had basically pulled the nation of Israel, who were the children of God, away from worshipping God and to worshipping false gods, Baal and Asherah specifically. In the land of Israel, there is one prophet of God left. His name is Elijah, and there are 400 prophets of Asherah, 450 prophets of Baal. Some of the prophets of God have been hidden. But, um, I mean, basically, if they were found, they would have been killed. Elijah is still walking around, and God is, he has protected him. And one day, Israel is in its third year of drought. Basically, in their moving away from God, they are also moving away from the blessing that God brings. There has been no rain, and you understand that there were no spas and woolies in those days. Like, food is scarce when there has been no rain. So it's a problem in Israel right now. God speaks to Elijah and he says, you need to tell the people that I am going to make it rain. Elijah's all hunky-dokey, like they will kill me, but that's okay, let's do it. He walks up to Ahab and he says to Ahab, um, or actually like challenges Ahab and says to him, meet me on the top of Mount Carmel. If you ever go to Israel, which we would actually love to do, just putting it in there, you know, start 
an Israel fund in your monthly bank account because um, we are talking about the with some other churches doing a trip together to Israel. But it's phenomenal when you when you go to Israel because you drive past these places that you read about. When we were there last in 2017, I'm oh my goodness, Mount Carmel. Ah. And on Mount Carmel, okay. Elijah goes, and King Ahab goes, and all the people go, and 850 prophets of Asherah and Baal all go up to the top of this mountain, and basically, Elijah challenges them to, to, to say, let's see who the real God is. Like, God is, my God, the God of Israel, is actually wanting to make it rain, but let's have a challenge. So let's pick it up um, in verse 20, because it might be easier, and I won't get distracted if I just stick to the scripture. So basically... Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel, and then Elijah stood in front of them and he said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Okay, fearful, probably, you know, because of who Jezebel was. And then Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who has left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Okay, this is his challenge he's setting. Brave man. Um... Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. So they're happy, okay, with this challenge. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it. He's totally giving them the advantage. Um, sorry, you flipped, you flipped two quick cans. I feel like I missed out a sentence. Where am I? The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, okay? And all the people agreed. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first for there are many of, um, many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. And so they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime. Um... Sorry, guys, I'm getting lost here. Shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind, of course. And then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. And about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. Guys, brave. There's one of him and thousands of them, okay? He's all, you'll have to shout louder. He scoffed, for surely, surely he's a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming. Oh my gosh, can you believe the Bible? Or is relieving himself, guys. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. This is my kids' favorite part of the story. When I used to read this to them when they were kids, they would honestly just pack up laughing because in their children's Bible, used to say, maybe your God is on the toilet or maybe he is on holiday. And they would think it was so funny. And can I just side note say, because it's Mother's Day, mums, dads, the best thing you can do, like read the word of God to your kids. My kids are a bit older now. I don't sit and read them a children's Bible, but we, we talk about things. I said to Bev when he was asking me, 
what I want to do later. I'm like, I want to start the Chosen series two with the kids later because we've, we've done series one together, but we haven't yet done series two. There's nothing more beautiful, and I'm going to come back to the story, than, um, than creating that time and imparting into your children in that way. There's this beautiful psalm, Psalm 145 verse 4, and it actually says, one generation will commend your works to another. I love that psalm. One generation will commend your works to another. It's on us. It's our responsibility. You know, Bev mentioned the funeral um, before I got up here, and I'm just looking at a whole generation of people that I'm like, my goodness. You know, that auntie who's just lost her husband, she taught us all Sunday school in this very building growing up. And I'm like, man, that generation commended the good works of the Lord to this generation. It's on us to commend it to the next. And I have moments, and maybe I'm just even going to prophesy for a moment, where I imagine us buying this building because we don't own it, and just buying the building next door as well, and, um, and just creating the most unbelievable children's center, like tactile, hands-on, experiential, walking through the story of the world so that children would know it inside and out and know their God. And over the front of that building will be Psalm 145 verse 4, one generation will commend your works to another. Tell your children the story of the world, okay? But let's go back to the scripture, okay? This is Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal. And he says, so they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. And then Elijah called to the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in disrepair because they had not been worshiping him. It had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And then he dug a trench, this guy is bold, around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons of water, pretty much. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Has anybody tried to make a bride with wet wood? Like it does not burn, right? But go Elijah. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And then when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. Like he's, oh gosh, funny what comes to you. I'm always playing with fire, but I'm all, oh, it's so funny in that moment. He's totally messing around. Like, he's totally like, you guys can't get your God to answer with fire. Watch my God. Not just answer with fire, but lick up water. So they did, as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. And at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are the God and that you have brought brought them back to yourself. And immediately, guys, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down. Their fear was suddenly gone. They were no longer silent. They fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. It's like 
this crazy showdown of God the Father's power and fierce affection for his children in this moment. And then let me just fast track what happens next because we don't have time to like read two chapters of the word of God. But um, basically, the prophets of Baal are all killed in that moment. And um, Ahab jumps into his carriage and starts heading home because it's all out of his control now. The people are rioting and they're killing the prophets. And the rain starts bucketing down. After three years of nothing, God just brings the rain. And the people are worshiping God. And then, guys, you have to go and read this at some point. But God gives Elijah like super speed. Seriously, the Bible, I'm like, donkeys talk and oceans part and virgins give birth and prophets run at super speed. And if you haven't ever done Alpha to actually like settle in your heart that this is a legit book. You start thinking to yourself, this is not natural. And of course it isn't. It's supernatural. But you know, it's crazy what happens. Elijah runs ahead of the chariot and makes it back to the city where Jezebel is. And when he gets there, Jezebel, well, Ahab goes on to tell Jezebel, I'm really summarizing, and she is furious She is absolutely furious. And from her mouth, she declares, tell Elijah that within 24 hours, I will find him and I will kill him. And in this moment, Elijah freaks out. After being this crazy bold guy and seeing the power of God, he absolutely panics at the voice of a woman. And he runs away. He leaves his servants. He runs away like into Beersheba. He finds this lone tree. He sits under a little bit like Jonah from Jonah and the whale did. And he says, God, please take my life. I'm like, I don't know. Like, was he bipolar? Like, he's on this crazy high one minute. And then he is freaking out the next. But this is what we do as people, right? One minute we're all, yes. And the next minute we can be here and God understands and he meets us in both places because look what God actually does for Elijah. This is in 1 Kings 19 now and it's verse 5 and I'm going to read from the message. Okay, exhausted, Elijah falls asleep under the lone broom bush and suddenly an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. He looked around and to a surprise right by his head, were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. I'm like, is that not parenting? Your children are freaking out and you're like, just have a little nap. <laughs> and he has a snack. And um, <laughs> so what God does, he ate the meal. He went back to sleep. The angel of God came back, shook him awake again and said, get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. He got up, he ate and drank his fill and he set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. Something significant about Horeb, but we'll leave it for another time. When he got there, he crawled into a cave and he went back to sleep. And then the word of God came to him. Like again, guys, some brilliant parenting here. Take some time out, just a little bit of time out. You know when your kids are freaking out? Time out. Sometimes you need the time out too, just to calm your farm. Okay, and then Elijah basically... God speaks to him and he says, what are you doing here? And Elijah's response after all this, sleep, rest, snack, time out. I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies, he says. He's just honest before his parent God. 
been working my heart out. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now you're trying to kill me. And then he was told, go, stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. At that point, guys, a hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But God wasn't to be found in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. And the reality is that the story goes on to say God was in the whisper. It's like Elijah did not, he didn't need the power of God in that moment. He already knew it. He had seen it on Mount Carmel. He had seen fire, fierce power. You know, these are my people and I will take them back with absolute fierce affection. So he didn't need the earthquake, the wind, the fire. At that moment... What he needed is something gentler. He needed just a quiet whisper. And God whispers to him the, 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 the plan, and Elijah beautifully listens, and off he goes. And the reality is Elijah actually never dies. His biggest fear of dying never happens to him. In 2 Kings 2, it actually talks about how he's, he's taken up in this like whirlwind, and his cloak drops, and Elisha picks it up and carries on Elijah's ministry. He never dies, and God meets him both in power and both in gentleness. And I love that story. I love that story. Whenever I'm thinking of the parenthood of God, that is a story that I think about because I think, God, if I need your strength, I can go to you. But if, if really what I need is just your gentleness, well, I can go to you too because you're both paternal and you're maternal. You're complete in your parenting. You are beyond human in the way that you parent us in the spiritual. Let's go to the natural just for a minute because um, I want to make sure we've got time for the kids to do a surprise item in about five minutes for all the mums in the room. But in the New Testament, that's my Old Testament offering or meal. In the New Testament, we have Mary, this teenage mother, and I just want to pull one thing out of her life. I'm actually not going to read any scripture to you, but in a minute, Cans might just put some scripture so that you know you can go back and you can read it yourself if you want to. You know, when Mary fell pregnant as an unmarried woman, she knew that the reality of the times was that um, she could have been killed. Like, that was actually a very, very um, normal thing. If you fell pregnant and you were unmarried in that time, you could easily um, have your life taken. So it's a really risky thing that she agreed to, okay? Um, and when she falls pregnant, listen to, just, just look at what Scripture shows us. The first thing that she does with her pregnancy, with her teenage pregnancy, unmarried teenage pregnancy, is she goes to her aunt Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist and related to Mary, actually. And six months prior to Mary's angelic visitation, Elizabeth and Zechariah were also spoken to. God, God approaches them and says, I'm actually, there's going to be a miraculous pregnancy in your lives and you are going to give birth to a man. You need to call him John. He's going to go ahead of Jesus and he's going to make a way for Jesus, prepare the people 
And Mary knows about this. And so six months after, when she has this miraculous pregnancy, the first thing that she does, put it up on the screens, cans, if you can, is she runs away to her aunt, or, or, or flees, it says, to her aunt Elizabeth for that first trimester. There's such, you might think, oh, okay, cool. But do you know what? There's such wisdom in that, guys, because she needed a mentor, She didn't just need any mentor, though. She needed somebody who was going to speak courage into her circumstance. And she found somebody who would understand, somebody else who was also pregnant miraculously. And she shut out every other voice in her life, went away to the hills, and just sat at the feet of Elizabeth and allowed this older woman to just minister to her in her first trimester so that she would be strong and good for the road ahead that she was to walk and that she had agreed to walk. And I love the wisdom of that. I love that we have this spiritual parent, but you know what? We actually also, we are natural beings and we need tangible mentors and people and voices in our life. But we live in a time where um, it just feels like there's so many voices. Hey, like the printing press was, was um, I'm sure you're all learning that, I love a bit of history, yeah? but it was invented like just over 500 years ago and when it was invented it was like this celebration of information being available to everybody and not just an elite few and it's awesome and it was so worth celebrating but now we live in this time where it is like information overload and it is like what is true news and what is fake news and you know you're pregnant these days I'm not pregnant just so you know but um that's a story for another day of this one time someone thought I was guys and I wasn't how embarrassing never ask a girl if she's pregnant because she might have just I don't know eaten bread (laughs) like I had that day anyway guys (laughs) Mary and the voices in her life, she, she, she silenced every other voice that could have been coming at her in her pregnancy. And like I say, when you're pregnant, it's so crazy how everybody suddenly just wants to give you advice. And within there, there's probably a lot of good advice. But actually, we have to learn how to be discerning and have to know, I don't need to listen to everybody. I can't listen to everybody. I can't read every book that has been published since the printing press. There is too much. I can't look at every social media post. I can't watch every news clip. There has to be like a discipline within us. These, the, Like we who live at this time of just, I need to silence that for a minute. And I need to get away with wisdom and with somebody who's going to speak what I need, what my spirit needs. So that the thing that God has birthed in me or planted in me, I can bring forth. And I can foster and steward and do well with. Because I think if Mary had stayed, I don't know what her friends would have been saying about her. Or what other people would have been saying about her. Not everybody believes the miracle in your life. But Elizabeth did. And she went, and that was the voice. Zechariah had actually lost his voice. You have to go back and read that story another time. He actually couldn't speak through his, through his John the Baptist's entire pregnancy. He only got his voice back once John was born. And, uh, and so it was literally this one mother's voice speaking into the future mother of the Messiah. And there is just the most beautiful take-home wisdom for us. Later on when Mary actually has Jesus, 
um, in, in, in Luke 2 verse 19, and I, I just will finish with this. The shepherds have seen the angels and the angels have, um, have spoken to the shepherds in the fields about how the Savior has been born down the road for you. And they're all going crazy. They visit, the, they visit Jesus in his stable and apparently they were just nonstop talking about this Messiah. And these angels that had told him about him, but listen to what Mary does. In Luke 2 verse 19, it says, But Mary treasured all these things, giving careful thought to them and pondering them in her heart. Like She was just wise. You know how quick we can also be to be that voice, to confuse and complicate a world that has already got too many voices. If we don't know, let's just not say it. Just ponder it for a minute. Get the truth. Like, work it out. And just let's be, as the church, those people that when we speak, we actually speak wisdom and life and encouragement. We don't need, the world doesn't need another opinion. There's too many. Mary got away from the opinions and was able to withhold, like, just hold and ponder opinion and thought in her heart until it was good time for her to speak, which actually was only like 30 years later when Jesus went into public ministry. I mean, she's a pretty amazing teenage mother that we can so learn from this Mother's Day. So we have this beautiful Father in heaven who's both our mother and our father. And then we have these beautiful examples in the Bible, but so too do we have beautiful people living on the planet, walking on the planet with us at our time in history. Find them. Find them, but be discerning when you do. Shall we pray over the word? I thank you, Father. <laughs> Hopefully as we even pray that prayer, we, we just pray with a little more clarity of who you are as our perfect parent. And we thank you that we can call you parent, Father. And we can go to you for all things and in all things. And I thank you for the examples across time that are there for us to glean wisdom from. And I thank you for the people in our very midst who are wise and who are so worth getting away with and, and gleaning from. Help us to be discerning in this life as we walk it. And Father, for the things that you have for each and every one of us, your children in this very room and at this very time, the things that you would want to birth in their lives and see come forth in their lives in this short window that we have to travel the world. I just pray blessing over them, over all those beautiful things that you plant in people's lives. Bless them, protect them, keep them, nurture them, and may they... And may they be offered to the world in perfect timing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.